We're in uh, Matthew 22 today. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, you might want to open up to Matthew chapter 22. <laughs> I, uh, I heard a story this week about an HR executive, you know those people from Human Resources, those HR executives, and it was this HR executive's job to uh, go around and make sure the professional standards were maintained. It was a job to make sure that all the, the legal framework, of course, was, was adhered to. But more than that, just building a culture of professionalism within, uh, within the company. It was a very large company. She didn't know everyone. She did her best to get around to make sure that people were adhering to certain standards of behaviour, certain dress codes, for example. A bit of pushback, as we're seeing in many companies now, this, this push to sort of very casual clothing has in some instances led to uh, a, a casual dress code is meant to a casual work ethic. And so they wanted to sort of maybe push back a little bit and make sure that they maintain a certain dress code in the office. Well, one day she, she jumped in the lift and someone wandered in dressed very casually, just jeans and, and a polo shirt. And she said, oh, here we go again. And so she plucked up the courage and said to this fellow, you know, uh, you're dressed a little bit uh, casually for work today, aren't we? And he said, why, why yes, that's one of the benefits of owning the company. So she had to... <laughs> dress code is what we're talking about today. No, it's not about making sure that we're dressed well to come to, to church. It's a, it's a spiritual dress code that we, are, that we are on about today, that Jesus is on about today. This is a parable that makes Jesus seem, well, not very nice, as a matter of fact. This is Jesus sort of giving us one of those parables that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's, it makes Jesus seem, well, that's not a very what-would-Jesus-do kind of thing to say, Jesus. We love all the parables where lost sheep are welcome, are bought home. We love the parables of, of lost children being run and embraced by a loving father no matter how far they've gone. We love those parables of the farmer scattering seed far and wide, even on the stony and rocky ground where there's very unlikely to grow. That's simply the extent of how gracious and loving and abundant this God is that we would give us plenty of that, Jesus. But today, this parable has a sting in the tail. It starts off nice and kind. It starts off uh, being, oh yes, everyone is welcoming God's kingdom. It starts off with a, with a banquet thrown by the king where everyone comes and that's fantastic. But there, there is a bit of a, a sting in the tail. It, it, it ends up with, with blood on the floor. It, it ends up with someone being bound and, and thrown out into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It ends up with cities being burned to the ground. So what's going on here, Jesus? What's happening here with this parable? What happened to all the nice sweetness and, and light? Let's, have a, let's dive in and, and have a look at this, this parable with, with a bit of a, a sting in the tail when it comes to Matthew's version of this wonderful story. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet and to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. 
the ox, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is, is ready, but those I invited do not deserve to come. So, go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So, the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see his guests, he noticed a man that was not wearing the wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Mm. Church, let's pray. Loving Lord, we pray that you might reveal your word to us this morning. We pray that we might be able to hear you speaking to us. Give us ears to hear, we pray. We pray that my words might be your words. Father, we pray that you alone are heard. We pray that I might decrease, you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. Throughout its long history, the church has always struggled with this question of, of how just how inclusive should the church be? The church has always grappled with this question, this, this tension, if you want, of, of wanting to follow Jesus' example and to be open to all, to throw the doors open wide and to say, come one, come all. Everybody is welcome. We rightly want to follow Jesus in that regard. He was famously, wasn't he? He cavorted and hung out with sinners and prostitutes. And, and the church has always wanted to, to make sure that we follow his lead and make sure that everyone is, is welcome amongst us. But of course, it needs to be held in tension with the fact that, well, as a matter of fact, we, we also need to maintain our distinctiveness, don't we, as a church? The church doesn't want to become so open and, and so representative of society that we lose our, our saltiness. Jesus talked about the need to be salty, that is to be distinctive. We don't want to simply be, be so open and, and, and so inclusive and become so watered down that we really lose our, lose our reason for being in, in the first place. We don't want to become just a, a, another social club. So there, is, or there has always been that tension within the church of wanting to make sure that, yes, everyone is welcome, but yes, we also want to maintain our distinctiveness and, and make sure that people know well, just what is exactly expected when you accept this, this invitation. And that is what Matthew is, is addressing here. Matthew is dealing uh, with this tension here and they'd been going through exactly the same thing back in those very early days of, of the church. So he, Matthew tells this, this uh, story of Jesus telling uh, this this famous parable that you'll also find uh, in, in Luke as well. But Matthew puts his own little uh, spin on it, as, as we'll see. Jesus tells this story of a great feast. 
of a wedding banquet. Uh, in, in Luke, it's just a man that throws a feast. In Matthew, it's the king. The king is throwing a wedding feast for his son. This is going to be huge. This is going to be the party of the year. Everything is ready. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. You can imagine a, 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 you know, a sumptuous banquet hall or the, the palace dining room, decorated, set, and, and roast beef wafting out, out into the streets. Come is the invitation. He sends his servants out to his guests. Come. Everything is ready. Come and feast. Come and celebrate. In Matthew's version, the invitation actually goes out twice. The king is really keen, keen to make sure that his invited guests come to the party. It's one of Matthew's little sort of tweaks here because remember Matthew... He's speaking to a largely Jewish audience. Matthew's audience is, is Jewish. And so this is really going to hit home pretty hard with a, with a Jewish audience. It's really going to hit close to the bone. You've received the invite. Several times we've sent people out to invite you to come and you, you're refusing to come. You knock back the invitation. In fact, you mistreat my servants. You kill the ones that I've, that I've sent out. The excuses come rolling in. If you uh, remember uh, Luke's version, you know Luke goes into a little bit more detail about the excuses. Anyone remember why these people wouldn't come to the banquet? I cannot come to the banquet. I have, I have bought me a wife and married a cow. <laughs> Matthew doesn't give us doesn't go into a huge amount of detail, but the point is clear. The excuses start rolling in. In fact, the second set of invitations goes out. The servants are abused and, and they are killed. Well, the king is enraged. The king is obviously upset about this. And he goes and destroys these foolish people. And not only that, he burns their cities. And so he's left with a, a problem, of course. He's left this... The roast cattle, the roast beef is ready to go. So he tells his servants uh, to go out into the streets and to invite anyone they can find. Go out and bring the people in. All is ready. We must have the banquet hall filled. Come to the feast. And I love this part of the story. And I love this part of God's kingdom. And I love this part of this parable. And I love this part of our church here at Church in the Marketplace. All are welcome. The invite goes far and wide. Every tribe and tongue is welcome here. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your standing or status in society. Everyone is welcome here. Amen? I love that part about the church. I love the part of our congregation here in particular. It reminds me of an 80th birthday party I attended recently. Different people all together celebrating. I love that part of our church here at church. In, in the marketplace. Come to the feast, one and all. No one is but. All are welcome. doesn't matter who you are. You are welcome to the feast. I pray, friends, that you accept your invitation to the feast. If you haven't yet accepted the invitation to the feast, please come and find me after the service and I'll pray with you and we can accept your invitation to the heavenly feast feast, to the, the kingdom feast, to the great banquet. It will be the best decision 
you ever, you ever make. So the picture is of a banquet hall full of the good and the bad. Verse 10, if you have a look at it, if you've got it verse 10 is very explicit. Verse 10 says very clearly, the good and the bad were invited. You don't need to be particularly holy. You don't need to know your Bible back to front. You don't need to be able to quote the Ten Commandments. The good and the bad are invited to come. This is God's graciousness. Accept the invitation. Come to the feast. However, that gives rise to a bit of a problem, and then the parable takes a bit of a, a, bit of a turn, doesn't it? The parable takes a bit of a, a, a turn. The king comes in and, and sees a guy that, that isn't dressed appropriately. He dresses him down for his dodgy glad rags, has him bound and thrown out, kicked out into the darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on with this? I mean, Jesus, what's going on, on here? I mean, what, what did the king expect? He went out into the streets. He went out and invited the good and the bad. He went out and invited anyone he could see. I mean, what did he expect? Did he really expect the people off the streets to be dressed in their suit and ties and their tucks and tails and their, their ball gowns and their high heels? And what did the king really... I mean, what's, what's going on here? What is, what is Jesus, what is Matthew trying to, to address here? Well, he's addressing this situation where the church had, had grown rapidly. The church was, was exploding. It's not like the millions of people around the world today, but at the time when, when, gospel, when the Gospels were being written, the church was, was exploding in numbers and people were coming to faith in Jesus and they were coming from all different lifestyles. They were coming from all different faiths pagans and Greeks, and, and, and there were some Jews as well. But the problem was, of course, those original disciples, well, they were good Jewish lads, weren't they? They're good Jewish boys. And then all these other people, all these other cultures were coming to be followers of Jesus as well. So, so what, do we do, what do we do with them? How, how, do we, how do we treat them? I mean, they're coming with all of their, their foreign rituals and, the, and all of their, their pagan sort of worldviews and, and, and their, their different sort of moralities. So so how do we, how do we deal with, with this rapid growth of, of the church? I think that's what Matthew is, is trying to deal with here. The question, the big question was that, did you, well, if you're coming from a non-Jewish background, do you have to become a Jew before you can then become a Christian? That was the big question that the church was, was grappling with. It was actually caused quite a bit of consternation, a bit of argument, a bit of, a bit of tension in, in, in the early church. Peter and Paul famously had a bit of an argument. They had to come together in Jerusalem, what's called the, the Council of Jerusalem, actually, to, to solve this problem, to, to, to come to an answer about this problem. And do you actually need, in order to be a Jesus follower, do you first need to become Jewish? Do you, do you need to follow all the Jewish rules and regulations? Or can you bypass all of that and just become a, a follower of Jesus without adhering to all the Jewish dietary rule, laws and religious laws? Well, Paul actually ended up winning that fight. Peter was holding on to his Jewishness and thought everyone should be a good Jew and follow all of their customs. But he realized he had, he had to let go of that. He realized that was a wrong way of, of thinking. Certainly, the, the, God's moral law needs to be adhered to, but you can certainly discard all of the, 
finicky legalism of, of Judaism. And by the way, this, this garment, why is the king so enraged about how this guy was dressed? There's a couple of different interpretations, but to explain that. Some commentators think, well, it was okay for you to come off the street. You didn't necessarily need to be wearing your finest, but you were expected to, to at least be clean. So you were expected to at least sort of scrub up. So there's that sort of explanation. Maybe this guy hadn't, hadn't bothered to wash, hadn't bothered to bathe, hadn't bothered to clean himself up. Or, or another possible suggestion from the commentators is that, particularly when it's the king's feast, you would actually be given a special wedding garment to wear. You would be handed a garment at the door to wear. So there was no excuse for not wearing the right garments and not be dressed appropriately. So that's a couple of, of sort of cultural explanations about what might be about what, me, what, might be, what might be going on there. Remember too, clothes in the Old Testament and the New are representatives of, of something deeper going on. We're told to put on the garment of praise, aren't we? Uh, we are told to, to, to clothe yourselves in Christ or to, to put on Christ. Right? Clothes are an outer symbol of an inner transformation in your heart. So this isn't about the clothes. It's about something far deeper. This is what uh, Matthew's original hearers would have been thinking. Would have been thinking those Old Testament references to, 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 uh, to put on the garment of, of praise. The prophets would talk about uh, clothes being representative of, of a deeper inner transformation. I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that, that yes, all are welcome. We should fling the doors open wide. But once you have accepted the invitation, a change is expected. A change is expected. Once you come in the front doors, you can't be just resting on your laurels and cruising along. You can't be importing your own sense of worldliness into the church. You've got to be a new creation. The old must go, the old ways of thinking. The old ways of being, the old ways of living must be left behind and you must put on the new garment, put on, clothe yourselves in a, well, in, in holiness is sort of the fancy technical churchy word. To be working towards to being ever more like God. Holy just means really set apart. To be working to be more like Christ, to be more Christ-like, more godly as much as you can each and, each and every day. It's not okay to simply go on with old ways of living. Once you've accepted the call to be a Christ follower, then a change is required. An inner change of heart will manifest itself on the outside in new godly behaviour. You know, the, the Gospels are very clear about this, aren't they? The tax collector is expected to, to stop ripping people off and have a change of heart to give away his wealth many times over. The wealthy are expected to, to give their wealth to those who truly need it. The sexually promiscuous are expected to adhere to a godly standard of sexuality. Any number of different ways of, of former living, of past living, is expected to be put aside and to, to be put on Christ, to adhere to, to God's godly rule of how we are expected to live as his followers. Now, of course, we're not all going to start from the same position. It's going to take a while. Some people are going to 
going to take a while to, for this change of heart to work itself out. If you are blessed with being raised in a, a Christian home, you're starting miles ahead of someone that's never heard the gospel before. Speaking of my own clan of sort of Anglo-Australians, we're now in many cases several generations removed from the gospel. Well, I mean, I teach kids in scripture class who, unlike maybe their, their grandparents or great-grandparents generation, who sort of knew the stories, who knew the Bible, who sort of knew the Christian story. They were taught it at Sunday school or, or, or at least at, at school. You know, these kids are now hearing it for the first time because their parents never heard it. And in some cases, their grandparents never even heard it. Those people are going to be starting much further back than you or I who have grown up in the church and were given a, a loving a Christian upbringing. So we should always err on the, on the side of grace whenever we seek to sort of set ourselves up as, as God bounces, as God's bounces, as it were. So I think... There's two things to, to consider here. There's two big lessons from this parable. Yes, the church is indeed to be open, to be radically inclusive. We are certainly called to fling the doors open wide. And note also in the text, church, it's not enough simply to sit and wait at the reception, wait at the banquet hall, waiting for people to come. No, the invite has to go out. This is an active invitation that goes out. This is a challenge for the church still here today, and I think it's a challenge for us at church in the marketplace. It's a challenge to be going out, on, out into the highways and byways, and to be inviting people in, to be calling them in, to be issuing the invitation. It's not enough just to be sitting here now holy huddle on a Sunday, as much as we love being with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our mission field is actually out there on Monday to Friday. Wherever we are, where we work, where we play, where we live, the invitation needs to go out far and wide. And yes, all are invited. There is no room for any stuck-up, sanctimonious attitude in the church. We are all sinners saved by grace. There is no room for any looking down on anybody else in God's church. I heard a wonderful definition of evangelism the other day. Evangelism is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. We are all beggars. None of us are here by our own doing. We can't earn our salvation. It is all a free gift, freely given to us by God. His amazing grace. Amen? So there is no room for condescension in the church, for an arrogant sort of snootiness or, or legalism in the church. Yes, all are welcome. But once we've accepted that invitation, a change is expected. We should expect change from one another. We should expect change from one another. To always be looking, working towards godliness, working our way towards holiness. We're never going to achieve. We're never going to be perfect. But there is that expectation that, yes, a change will come, and sometimes it will take time, and sometimes others will struggle, and sometimes it'll feel like we're taking one step forward and, and two steps back. But there is that expectation that you can't rest on your laurels once you've accepted that, that free gift of grace. You might have heard it said that God loves you so much that he's not prepared to leave you the way you are. Once you've come to Christ, it will affect how you live. And if it doesn't, 
Have you really accepted the invitation? I mean, have you really been changed? Has your heart really been changed as it bubbles up out in the way you live? If you've been blessed with tremendous wealth, maybe you don't need to change your car every 18 months. Maybe there's another way of spending the resources that you've been blessed with. In our family, we just updated a phone to an iPhone 13. Can you believe it? Living with an iPhone 6 for many, many years, refused to update it because it was still working. I didn't want to spend money. And even then, the iPhone 13 is still two generations old. Now, if you've just gone out and bought the brand new 15, God bless you. I'm sure God wants to bless you. But you understand my point, don't you? Be thinking about how you live. Be thinking about how you spend your money. Right? Be thinking about how you interact with others. Right? Maybe you don't always need to visit Tuscany every single year, perhaps. Be thinking about God's entire human family. I get a little bit of feedback. Oh, $50 for a fundraiser. $50 for a... 50 Give me a break. $50. I bought Chinese takeaway last night, our local Chinese. There was only three of us at home. The kids... 60 bucks. I know, I know. So really, is $50 all that much to expect for people that struggle to feed themselves, to have a, a, a roof over their head? What is it for you? It might be your career. Are you, are you stepping on top of other people? It might indeed be your, your, your sexuality. You know, are you just importing you know, godless lifestyles into the church, thinking you can sort of keep your sexuality to, to yourself? It's a big one, isn't it, for the LGBT friends of ours. We need to be able to say, yes, you are welcome. Please come. But a change is expected. God loves you so much that he's not prepared to leave you the way you are. We need to expect a change from one another. We need to be gracious with one another. We need to clothe ourselves with righteousness until we couldn't consider wearing anything else. Can I encourage you, friend, to be dressed fit for the king, come to the banquet and live. Amen? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we commit to you our lives. We say thank you for this invitation that's gone far and wide. Help us as a church community to be radically inclusive. Help us to be gracious with one another. Help us to extend the invitation far and wide. Help us to know how we can be going about that. Help us to know how we can send that invitation out. How are we going to reach our community? How are we going to reach our city for Christ? Help us to not just simply be resting on our laurels, sitting here with our comfortable church friends on a Sunday morning, singing our songs that we love amongst people with whom we're comfortable. Help us to accept those that are maybe a little bit different from us, different in terms of being nice, polite, middle-class Christians. Help us to be truly radically inclusive, just as Jesus was. But Father, we also pray that you'll help us to expect change from one another. Help us to change. Help us to see the blind spot in our own lives where we've refused to be clothed in righteousness. We've refused the garment of praise and instead of just simply gone on living in old models, old ways of life, old mindsets, old behaviours. Help us to be clothed in righteousness. 
May we give you everything that we have. May we accept that invitation with all that we have, without reservation, without keeping anything in return. May we come to the wedding feast and live. In Jesus' name, amen.